Hi, and welcome to The Stripping Scholar, a podcast with me, Fräulein Frauke. Here I talk with very specially invited guests about burlesque as an artistic practice and explore concepts around sexuality on stage. Today I am welcoming a very special guest, J.P. Bichard. You are an experimental artist, burlesque producer and filmmaker whose work references sexuality as a material, traditional storytelling and art historical aesthetic through the filters of contemporary culture. You work across media and has a strong root in art technology research. Not only all of this, you are also my partner in life, art and business. Uh, we met 100% through burlesque, with you coming as a guest to my very first produced club 14 years ago. Uh, and our first private encounter was a photo shoot. You are a well-known person in the burlesque scene and community for your production and notably your award-winning burlesque photography. Welcome JP and thank you for talking to me today. Hi, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, all this feeds very nicely in today's concept of scopophilia. This is what Wikipedia says about it. In psychology and psychiatry, scopophilia or scoptophilia, ancient Greek for look to, to examine and the tendency towards, is an aesthetic pleasure drawn from looking at an object or a person. In human sexuality, the term Scopophilia describes the sexual pleasure that a person derives from looking at prurient objects of eroticism, such as pornography, the nude body and fetishism, as substitute for actual participation in a sexual relationship. Sigmund Freud used the term scopophilia to describe, analyze and explain the concept of schaulust, the pleasure in looking. Personally, I've always understood this more as uh, the pleasure of looking through something like a camera or similar rather than looking directly uh, which I feel is more similar to voyeurism but uh, firstly I would like to know what uh, is your idea of the concept scopophilia how do you see it now it's, it's an interesting question and for me it's particularly uh, I think challenging as well because I think there are two sides of, of as you said there are two sides to scopophilia as it's perceived. And one is, say, in film studies and as the idea of the pleasure of looking, but the other is from psychiatry is about a kind of condition, the non-consensual looking or obtaining of sexual pleasure through looking. And the, so the, the pleasure of looking is what I uh, like to associate myself with more. I'm not really into this whole idea of, the, you know, the, which is a very old term. I think we've come a long way since uh, these terms were, you know, and also obviously Freud. I mean, now we live in, in a society which is completely like uh, over our heads in imagery. Mm. We literally have something in our hand, you know, a mobile device, which is a very personal device that we, we hold to our face and we talk into and we, we take as a trust space that is just pumping out imagery like day and night. So it, it's very different, this this whole idea of pleasure of looking. I mean... Sure, we still we, we do have a pleasure in looking, but I think it, it's a different uh, take on it than it was maybe 30 or 40 years ago. I kind of saw it as two quite different things. I saw yeah. scopophilia more as a 
like I said, this kind of looking through a medium rather than looking directly. But I might have been kind of wrong in that assessment. But I also feel like uh, voyeurism has more to do with this kind of hiding of looking. Like you were, you were in, like you were talking about like this um, kind of using look not necessarily consensual. Yeah. Well, but, but, but that also, maybe doesn't have that. Yeah, but that's also associated with the voyeur and specifically the kind of the term peeping Tom. Mm. I mean, the idea of the peeping Tom is somebody who kind of creeps around and, you know, looks at people in a state of undress or fucking or, yeah, and you know, but without their consent or without their knowledge. knowledge yeah. yeah, exactly. While scopophilia doesn't have that connotation, I guess. Actually, the thing is, also, we've got to think about terminology here. You know, things like I, I find the whole language around uh, photography and filmmaking is very violent. It's very male. You know, we talk about capturing or shooting. Mm. You know, it's all about kind of possession. And that's a very capitalist thing that we kind of... That, that yeah, we, an aggressive that we, thing. Yeah, we, we define, we, we objectify, we own, mm. we consume. And I don't really see... I've never particularly seen photography and now vid, my you know, film work as being about consumption per se it's more about expression mm. and of course then you know to get it looked at you need to put it into channels and you need to distribute it but my motivation has never been really to make kind of product it's more to just to keep exploring and to kind of you know create and to keep looking and work out what it what am I looking at and how am I looking at something mm. I'm thinking about like to put anything on a stage, you I mean, burlesque or, or any type yeah. of visual art form on a stage, you obviously, or we obviously invite lookers, <laughs> like yeah, we invite yeah. audience. And um, so it's very, it, in that sense, it's very far away from voyeurism where it's like secret or hidden. It's more like we want uh, people to enjoy what they're seeing on a stage. Uh, and it's interesting, this thing of, like, the sexual pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I, as a burlesque performer, want the audience to be to be feeling... I mean, I don't necessarily want them to feel any sexual pleasure, mm -hmm. but it's interesting because the form burlesque deals with sexuality. Yeah. So it's kind of like, even though it's not necessarily, like, sexual pleasure I want them to feel, mm -hmm. I want the audience to feel pleasure and there is sexuality going on. So yeah. it's kind of like, in one way, like, the scopophilia maybe... Uh, works well <laughs> in terms of like naming mm. the audience at the burlesque show, particularly. Yeah, maybe because also uh, it, it's not, I think, an issue if people do get aroused at a burlesque show. I mean, it's you know, it is after all sexuality, and there's it's very heightened. And I find it, it's uh, I the, the last thing I think about when I'm photographing is any kind of sexual pleasure because it's just so intense and so. Uh, in a way, quite difficult to photograph. You're talking about photographing like a live show now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that it, 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 someone said the other day that it's you can't write and edit at the same time. You should write and get lost in your writing and then edit and get lost in your editing. Uh -huh. And it's like, this is what I feel when I'm f photographing. I feel very much like I'm in the moment. Mm. So in some ways, I don't see I don't see the burlesque performance as anybody else in that room sees it. I see it through a little 16 by 9 window and I only see what I'm actually pointing the camera at. So I kind of miss some of the peripheral stuff unless I'm zoomed wide. I'm also thinking very much about, you know, the lighting. Have I just hit a spotlight? 
is the person moving into the shadows, you know, is there a lot of smoke? How's that affecting my exposure? Mm. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of a kind of choreography with the person on stage, a kind of remote choreography, yeah. and just moving my head and, you know, my eyes. So it's a very limited, but it's also a very, uh, that I get the pleasure in uh, an aesthetic pleasure or an intellectual pleasure in trying to construct this dance and do it as well as I can. So, but yeah. which, which in a way I'm, I'm pulling it away from, you know, when an audience comes in, I'm sure people have a lot of different uh, expectations of burlesque and that it is a, a, a sexually empowering uh, medium, I think is, is, a, is a very important part of it. Mm. I think also, of course, there's desire and there's excitement or a, yeah. thr a thrill in, in, yeah, the like, in the erotic. Yeah, and also like that can be shared in so many different ways as well. I feel like often mm. when we talk about like, yeah, excitement or, or erotic pleasure, like that it only becomes one thing. And it's yeah. not one thing, it's like so many things. So it's kind of, I agree. I think that, um, I mean, as myself, as an audience as well, like, yeah, I experience different things. Yeah. Um, but and, and the most pleasurable thing, and this is not about sexual pleasure necessarily, the, the pleasure derived from surprise, you know, as I'm photographing, you're also very aware of the, the tension or what, what the performer's creating on stage. And the very best performances are when you get this kind of kickoff between the audience and the, uh, and the performer. And it does go up, up into something else. Mm. And it's very highly charged, but it's more like, uh, I would say it's intimate rather than necessarily erotic i mean i, I don't know it's it's a hard yeah we don't have to there, there's no there's no hard it. and fast yeah. but but there's an intimacy there when you see a really yeah. good performer on stage connecting with an audience and what they're doing as well is is they're building up this this little narrative to bring out a surprise mm. and i think this is the thing that maybe when you go back to scopophilia is that you know we all want to be surprised and maybe the root of uh if you think of the root of say voyeurism is a, a means of getting that kind of sexual tension or, you know, power, whatever it is. But, and also about surprise, I'm sure, you know, most of what we do is about trying to seek surprises in life. So when someone goes along to burlesque, you know, why would someone keep going year after year, time after time? Because you're looking for a surprise. You want to be surprised. You want to be thrilled. Mm. Yeah, I think there's m more motivations than only that. But yeah, I agree yeah. that that is one of the motivations. But that's one of my biggest motivations in life. It gets yeah. me out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Is, and I've actually been criticised a lot by people. <laughs> I, you know, I've said I want to be excited every day. And I've had people kind of go, you know, you can't be excited all the, uh, you know, every day or all the time. And I'm like, well, okay, sure, pragmatically. But my intention is to be excited or to be surprised or... Yeah. To seek that kind of surprise, or yeah, I think then you have to be open for for being that as well. And how, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it and it actually comes more surprisingly that more more often than than you'd maybe expect because if you do keep things open, I mean, just walking down the road, you know, as a very visual person, you can see like in the night. Often when I'm walking down, walking the dog, I just see the play of leaves on the ground, and every time it thrills me. <laughs> you know, that's nice. Uh, do you see that 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 is big? Is that because of, or or is it the other way around? But is that because of that you are a photographer? Like, do you see it? Is it almost like you are seeing it through the lens, even though you don't have a lens in front of you? I think it's just because I'm a very visual person, 
And I was, it was interesting in thinking about this talk, I was just thinking like, why? Because I, I love writing and I'm really interested in, you know, deconstruction and research and, but there's something very, very uh, fundamental about how I, how I connect to the world. And I don't connect to it so, so much physically. I do much more visually. But also, it's, it, um, I, I was thinking the other day about touch, because touch is something also that I don't particularly kind of touch the world so much. I'm very kind of a, a, a little bit private or a little bit... Contained. Like, yeah, contained. And, and, and I just thought, it's like when I was a kid, I used to touch everything. If we went into a shop, I'd be picking stuff up and da da da. Went around people's houses, I'd be picking stuff up and and I got told off tie you know, all the time. I got told, and they used to call me kind of fingers bishard, which is really kind of, you know, that derogatory thing that ki kids get kind of put into uh, disapproving nicknames or categories. And I do think that some of that has something to do with it. You know, when you, as, as a kid, you know, as a baby, you taste the world you kind of see stuff but you taste and you feel and as you grow up you develop you know different ways of, of experience in the world and I do think that the, the touch thing was something that I kind of pulled back from as quite an, a young age and then you know growing up in a household where there are a lot of books and a lot of books with pictures in them and like witchcraft and war and Egyptology and all these kind of things I used to sit there for hours looking at pictures I didn't read so much but I loved looking at pictures and often those were also, interestingly enough, were kind of erotic. Mm. You know, when you're looking at things about witchcraft and the supernatural and, uh, and art. But so you're thinking that you're a photographer because of, of that, not that you are like that because you take photographs, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a visual person since yeah. a, a long, long time ago, yeah. Um, you were talking about, like, the thrill of taking photos of the, the live burlesque performance. Yeah. And that's obviously one of the things that you do very regularly mm. in the production work, but also at, I mean, numbers of other events. Um, but you also take photos more um, within your own like art practice and studio spaces mm. and I mean, studio and location, but like more specifically of people. Do you feel like it's different to um, take photos? I mean, of course, it should be different to take photos on stage where it's like a live thing happening and you have to capture something that's already there and then the collaboration between like you and a and a model like how is that how does that fit into like the scopophilia and the kind of pleasure of of what comes out of it when when i'm photographing somebody i, I see myself as being a fairly transparent ego in that relationship what i'm interested in doing is setting up a space uh, so in, in a way I, I i've i've seen it for many years as being uh, as a photographer, I don't want to take something. I want to make a space that's a very, I wouldn't say, I'm not, you know, a generous space. I mean, it's, it's generous in the, in the sense of I want to put as much in that space as possible that the person can use. And that can be a very simple space. It can just be a white studio. But it's like, what do you allow that person or how do you, how do you set up or how do you relate to that person so they feel like they can be themselves in that space? And I'm really interested in that, in how you, in a way, work with somebody to create an image that... So I'm, I'm thinking about the connection between viewer and subject rather than my pathway in between that. And of course, I, I'm good at directing and I'm good at, you know, editing and, and setting everything up. 
but I love it to, uh, what my intention is, is to set up as much so that the, the person is, that those two, there's a dialogue between the two, even though obviously they're remote and there's no connection, no, no actual physical connection. I'm thinking about that, like when we met, you had yeah. just started, um, you hadn't started photographing, but you had kind of started with model photography. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, uh, how should I put this? Like that is, that is literally why we met. You, you saw me on stage and you asked to photograph me. That was our first meeting. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I got the feeling <laughs> yeah. that it was quite exciting for you. Like you did photograph a lot of kind of beautiful women yeah, and, and yeah. people. And it, and it was a sexual, uh, not that you only photograph sex, sexy people, but like there was a sexuality involved. Yeah. Uh, and I have then really followed you like mm -hmm. from the beginning. I mean, you have obviously, I mean, you were pretty good then, but like mm. you're really, really good now. And uh, kind of seen this. How has the photography changed in relationship to like that type of like model, like model to photographer? Like how has your photographic uh, journey changed? Yeah, Is it still like because I got this feeling that it was quite exciting and maybe a little bit sexy for you? Yeah, in the oh, it, it's changed very much. Yeah, because oh, it was exciting. I mean, I was in I was in the kind of fetish scene as well. And, you know, it's really fun to, to photograph you know men and women in crazy kind of costumes and fetish gear and you know and and that it is it is really it, it's really cool i think one of one of the the projects early on that that changed a little bit how i approached photography because i just the thing is is i've, I've always i've been interested in photography for a lot of t long time but it just felt like something i wanted to take to another level and i, I didn't really know how to do that so i just thought I, I i hang around with a lot of people who are very aesthetically cool you know, they, they they spend a lot of time on their on their on their look, on their kind of the way they dress, on uh, the scenes that they're in, and I mean, so yeah, it it, it became a, a also a kind of social currency as well. You know, it, it's uh, if you if you're a photographer in a scene, it's like it, it was seen as being quite kind of cool. But I also at the time did a kind of uh, a really odd uh, little kind of it, it was a LARP thing where I was playing. A kind of a, a, a cheesy London photographer in the LARP, and you know all this. Yeah, live action role play. Yeah, like live action yeah. role play, and so I was I was doing all the cliches of what I thought a kind of really cheesy, tacky male, yeah, male photographer yeah. would be like, and the thing. So so it's that thing of you know because then it becomes very performative. Like yeah, you, kind totally. of, you are a, a photographer, yeah. and you took photos in the LARP, I guess. Uh, but then you're like you're you're playing at being this photographer as well. Yeah, and being really cheesy, like yeah, come on, come on, darling, lean forward a bit. Let's see a bit more cleavage, and you know, but but playing on those kind of yeah. cliches of what a kind of the glamour photographer. Or, yeah, and and what I found in reality is, uh, well, as, as I was saying, is there was one project where I did which was called the Blood Series, which is where I just said to people, okay, I have a big bathroom, I have some great lights. And I'm making one liter of fake blood, and I'll give you this fake blood. I will photograph you, and you can do exactly what you want to do in the bathroom. I mean, because obviously, mess. And some people took that as being a cue to strip off completely and cover themselves in, in fake blood. Others sat there with their clothes on and kind of were a little bit more uh, theatrical in a way. Others, others were really kind of disgusted by it. And one person uh, was, I thought, was seriously traumatised. I mean, he started shaking and it was a, a guy and uh, a man. And 
he started kind of shaking and staring at the wall as he's kind of covered in this kind of fake blood. And uh, and I was a bit worried. I just thought, like, I mean, am I at risk here, you know? Because the other thing as well as the photographer, I mean, people talk about, you know, the, the subject being at risk. But, you know, I, I, I felt it was maybe a situation that could have gone wrong, you know, that he may have kind of gone loopy or... But it wasn't. It was. It, it was actually very beautiful, very, very sad, but very touching. Is that he? He sat there and just. It was. He crouched there and just said uh, that he'd been beaten by his father quite a lot when he was young, and he associated blood right. with that violence, and that by by putting it on himself, he felt like he'd taken back that uh, that space, which I was absolutely delighted by. I mean, I just yeah. thought it was a really. And that changed in a way, that was one of the things that changed the way that I photographed or what I thought about photography. And also just as a follow on from that, when I was talking about this, uh, I was talking online about how the men and women in, in, in the shoots treated the fake blood very differently and the experience. And uh, uh, a, 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 an academic from, I think she's from Croatia, Anna Pareka, she just wrote back, well, well, that's obvious because men see blood as consequence and women see blood as process. Mm. And, you know, like men see blood as being like, it's an accident, it's a disaster, I've or cut violence. myself. Yeah, or violence. Yeah, action. Yeah. yeah. And of course, women do see that as well, but they see it more, I mean, you know, when you menstruate from, yeah. a, from, a, you know, from puberty, it's like that's part of your life for the next, I don't know, 30 years or... You know, so it, so it's very much seen as being like part of every day of, of 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 life rather than disaster. And I thought that was really again, you know, that was uh, in very interesting. Yeah, no, it was a it was a nice series and a quite sexual mm. series in the end. I, I was part of it as yeah, well. Yeah, you were. You were very. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was not the only one. No, no I know, I know. Um, but yeah, it kind of invited this uh, play of yeah. of sexuality and and. Um, Obviously, very visual with the kind of white uh, walls and the, mm. the red blood. And I will say, the first one I did, I tried with real blood. You know, someone wanted to, someone in the scene who I used to do a little bit of blood play, uh, and it, it turned out to be really a disaster because real blood, you can only really draw one deciliter of blood with it safely, yeah. and that's not very much. And also, real blood, when you put it on, it dries very quickly to a kind of dusty, flaky brown. Yeah. So it looks fake. Aesthetically, it was a disaster. Yeah, aesthetically, it actually looks fake, yeah. which is kind of a bit disappointing. So <laughs> what I found is I looked around and found really good film blood, which ended up being the blood that people used for the zombie walks and things. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, one get, other thing I want to talk about yeah. in terms of like, uh, like pleasure of looking mm. through the lens uh, is something you and me have talked a lot about and I thought a lot about um, as a person and as a burlesque performer. And that is that thing of like the male gaze. Mm. Like how do, first of all, we, we as a society look on pictures yeah. uh, that are, you know, sexy or beautiful or like anything, specifically when there's like women presenting bodies on there, like what we, ha what we have in our imagination is beautiful, is, um, yeah, is attractive, is pleasurable to look at. Uh, but then also like your, so we have the societal gaze, mm. uh, the male gaze maybe, whatever we want to call it. And then we have like our own personal tastes 
experiences uh, you know, our personal gaze, mm. which of course is connected to the societal gaze. And I know that you have also really been thinking about that as a genderqueer person, but like brought up as a man, mm. see the world through British working class perspective, you know, coming into yeah. the world. How do you, how do you think today about the, the kind of the male gaze and your gaze in relationship to the photographs you take? Mm. Yeah, let, let me un <laughs> unpack it a little bit. I mean, I was born in the 60s. I grew up in the 70s. And it was a very, very different time to now. It was a very sexist uh, era. It was quite violent. I mean, I remember, you know, walking to, to, to church with my parents and some guy one day would just like come up to my dad and was like, you're looking at me in the middle of the day. You know, a real kind of bully or boot boy or whatever. Um, so it, it was a very different time. It was also a time when men re really took that space, took that kind of very sexual, powerful or power, you know, sexual kind of power space, and quite a violent sexual space as well. I mean, when when you're kind of growing up, it was very interesting because you know I think with all, with all kids, you know, you you have this thing of growing up um, very kind of free up to the point of kind of puberty, and then pressures come in, and those pressures are about trying to be something. And in my case, it was, you know, I, I looked like a boy. I was born I was born with male genitalia. Although I did have uh, operations on my genitals when I was a kid because my balls hadn't dropped. So I had already a bit of trauma, you know, there was a kind of trauma there, but I, I, I really struggled with being like a boy or being male. You know, I thought I was growing boobs when I was going through puberty, so I thought I was kind of turning into a girl. And at the time that was kind of felt horrendous because the, the boys in the school were really kind of very bullying, you know. I went to kind of high school Growing up with a, a, a very kind of patriarchal, very one-sided, gendered society, it actually was a real relief when 45 years later, you know, like about five years ago, I took a very, very, very hard look at myself and said, well, really, who am I? And who am I in terms of how I look, of what I do, how I perform my gender, but also how I feel in the society which, which is changing? Society has changed quite radically, and it hasn't changed enough. But bringing in more women who are in in a power situation in terms of telling stories, creating, you know, new film directors, writers. I mean, always there's been a lot of writers, but uh, reassessing hist history or her story, the all these moves, and also Me Too. Me Too was about bringing out women's stories, which were always seen as being, you know, hidden or pushed away or repressed and they had stories about their lives and about their sexuality and about their experiences and once that was opened up it, you know you don't go back you have to keep moving and I do think there's obviously now this kind of right-wing backlash against you know anything that's not kind of patriarch you know traditionally patriarchal but it can't succeed because once you've opened up Pandora's box or... Well, you say that. No, but uh, it, it really can't, I don't think. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, that when you open things up, it's very hard to stuff it all back in again. And it will be... Uh, I mean, we're all, we've all got to struggle the next few years, mm. but uh, we're not going back to the 1930s or... But so in relationship to, like, your gaze, how do you connect that? Like, how do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, like I say, is that the Blood series was a, was an important one because then I started thinking much more in terms of it being an intellectual process rather than just a, a purely visual or, 
you know, spectacle, just mm. like there's someone cool and I'm going to photograph them and wow, this is amazing. And, and that's only, only kind of uh, developed further as it's gone on. A few years ago, I did a project with the artist Eva Troy where I was photographing nudes and then we were working with collaging them into like Baroque kind of landscapes and, and she's extremely good at this. I mean, she's a painter. And uh, we ended up with these kind of paintings which are hybrid photography painting and then they were, they were printed out on canvas and repainted. But that was kind of, in a way, another deepening of, of looking at what's my relationship to the male gaze and the idea of what the male gaze is, because as has come out in some of your podcasts, which I've, as a side note, I've been editing, <laughs> which is really pleasurable because I've got to you know, hear all the debates and like several times over. But I, I, I like what came out of it, you know, specifically about the male gaze. And, and it is, you know, my take on the male gaze has been that it is about control. It is about capitalism. It's about trying to create something for, for um, a person to consume. And I, I would like to actually just read a little, because this, this for me is a, a little a piece from Susan Sontag, which is 46 years, written 46 years ago. Uh, ago. In her book about on photography. On photography, yeah, yeah the book on photography. And she writes this. I'm not going to read the whole bit, but I'll take a little paraphrasing. So a capitalist society requires a culture based on images. It needs to furnish vast amounts of entertainment in order to stimulate buying and anaesthetise the injuries of class, race and sex. It carries on for a while. And then this is the bit. The production of images also furnishes a ruling ideology. Social change is replaced by a change in images. The freedom con to consume a plurality of images and goods is equated with freedom itself. The narrowing of free political choice to free economic consumption requires the unlimited production and consumption of images. And this is something I, and this applies to Facebook, Instagram, all these, all these, uh, these channels yeah, where- commercial. Yeah, it is completely yeah, overloaded. I used to say it was, we'd got gone from kind of truth to gossip where photog photographs used to, we kind of fooled ourselves that they, were kind of, that they were truth. I mean, they were a kind of truth, you know, it was Yeah, about... they, they can obviously be very manipulated, but it yeah. was still... But now, then, it, then it kind of moved to, I think, gossip, where the photograph was just used to, uh, as a kind of social, very fluid interaction. Mm. But I think it's gone further than that. When I look at like reels and I scroll through Facebook, which I do too much, and Instagram, I just see product and people trying to sell something. They're trying to sell clicks or attention endlessly. And I, and I find that as someone who's very visual and an image maker, I do find it very depressing. Yeah. I find this uh, super interesting because it in, uh, I mean, there's a lot to say about this, but, yeah. um, but I want to say two things. And I want to start with this thing of like being the good the good things about what you are describing yeah, right now. Yeah, because of course uh, it's good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, as as a woman, as a kind of sexual woman on stage and a, an, ex, an exhibitionist that want to use my own imagery in my artwork, yeah. like for the first time in history, I have the power of my own image. Mm. I don't need, I mean, I love having a photographer, but like I don't need a photographer to produce my my art or yeah. my vision or, or whatever we want to call it. I can literally do that with, you know, what I have in my pocket. I can do that in a, in a sheep in a cheap way yeah. where where I uh, have full control over it, which is 
incredible if you think about it. Yeah. Like I get so also talking of the male gaze in relationship to like mm. burlesque and like fetish images and and uh, people that have expressed themselves through uh, costume and and sexual costume and underwear and all that that I'm doing. Like how needed another person, which is often in history been male. You yeah. Know? Um, so I think it's like for me personally, I find it so. I'm so like aware of that privilege and like I think it's really fun and I am an image maker myself. I'm not a photographer, but I'm an image maker and I love it. So I'm really kind of happy for it. But at the same time, exactly what you were just describing and the stress that this gives specifically to people that are not interested in like what I'm doing, because mm. to me, it's it's a professional tool. It's an artistic and professional tool. And I, I talk to so many like friends that are not professional, you know, performers or whatever. Mm. And they are, a lot of people are talking about like the stress of producing like your brand yeah. that isn't even a brand. Like Fräulein Frauke is a brand. I mean, brand is very kind of connotation of capitalism, you the, know, the, but, we, yeah. but it's very interesting that it's just like yeah. it. And then looking at, for example, TikTok, uh, which I don't have because mm. I'm too old, uh, but like the amount of work people put down, like, quote unquote normal people like the work we put in that is absolutely unpaid yeah. into create content for other people to just like give us this kind of validation of likes it's absolutely but this is what i mean bizarre it, in a way it becomes obsessive and it yeah. becomes part of a, a very very powerful capitalist drive to con to make everything into consumption yeah i, I would i'd like to just qualify what i said i mean I think that the, the democratization of photography is, in, is excellent and filmmaking. Mm. I mean, now you can walk around and, and either take photographs or make a film, upload it and have an audience within a, you know, a yeah. day. And it's very, very empowering for, you know, for creatives. And also things like AI, a lot of, there's a lot of criticism of AI. I actually think AI is, you know, all machine learning. It's called, you know, we, we call it AI, but it's not really AI. But I've always loved exploring the kind of the edges of technologies mm. and where they take us. And in the, usually in the first wave, we get a freedom or a little bit of a frontier. And that then gets followed up by a bit more rational thinking about what it is. And then it goes into the, how can this be commercialised and kind of chopped up. So I think that there's two things here. One is there are these technologies that we have which are incredible and they are liberating but they're also now being misused by commerce. Yeah. I sit and think a lot about this and I still haven't any real uh, answer to it, but I would love to come to the point when we can either retake back or create new territory where we can share our creativity in a much more uh, free or less product-based or less yeah, obsessive way. Yeah. You know? How would that look like then? I don't. This is what I'm saying yeah. is because I've, I've worked a lot in the past with research and specifically games research, and it, I can see exactly the same parallel with that. The early days of games were really usually guys sitting in their their uh, their bedrooms making these crazy little games, and then it went on to being a, a bunch of really quite innovative games that uh, started looking at different ways of uh, working with narrative and and form. But then very quickly it turned into, you know, the AAA titles, you know, sequels. Mm. It's, and now we've got this kind of really funny flip-flop between the game gets produced, the, the film or the TV series gets mm. produced, the game gets kind of reflected back. So we've got this kind of recursive or re reflective 
relationship between uh, different different formats and different channels. But yeah, I, I think that society needs a little bit of a, an enema because <laughs> we're kind of all a bit kind of fucking blocked up with, you know, trying to just produce stuff, trying to make money. I mean, and I'm, I, we need to make money. I know I need to make money. I'm not yeah. criticising. No, I mean, we And can't. I'm not criticising people making wealth. I just think obscene wealth and obscene yeah. differential. No, but also like one can criticise a phenomenon or like a... a a thing in society and still be aware that we are also a thing, that thing in the society. Yeah. Because that's something that frustrates me a bit. Like I said, I actually enjoy social media in the sense that I can kind of put yeah. up all these pictures of me, you know, Fräulein Frauke doing all these cool things. And and at the same time, there is also, like I say, like literal friends of mine who go like, oh, I get so stressed about everybody's perfect life mm. on Instagram. And, and it's kind of interesting as well with that. Like I am... Um, creating like this persona it is i'm quite open with that it's a fantasy you know it's not like yeah. Frona Frauke's reality is not like felicia's mm. reality and that i think people understand but still i am then more or less part of this like uh i mean you read about it all the time especially how young women find actually not just women but uh young people find this super stressful beauty standards mm. and and not even only beauty, but just like lifestyle standards. Yeah. So it's a kind of, again, like I can criticize it and I'm absolutely part of it. And what is the solution? To not do it at all? I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. And so it's a kind of, it's a, it's a very double-ended um, yeah. fish. Um, but also your quote there from Susan Sontag and the following conversation about, yeah, consumption and image making and also where the power lies. Mm in like where where we kind of make our decisions or like where where power lays so that, oh, sorry, that reminds yeah, yeah. me very much of Michel Foucault yeah because yeah. even before that yeah but like it really is like yeah who hmm who has the power and this thing of controlling ourselves it's not oh someone else is controlling us that's terrible it's actually kind of self-control yeah through in this case like social media and image making that we are yeah. just feeding ourselves and others with which is disturbing. Yeah, but I, I think that what I what I saw particularly in this is that to use imagery, Im images as, as a, a substitute or a surrogate for, for our lives. And that's kind of strange. I think it's also very interesting. And this is the other thing as well, is that if, if I was to look at like scopophilia as, as being the pleasure in looking and, and trying to understand that, I'm, I'm, what I am very interested in is, you know, when things go a little bit out of control, what happens? Mm. You know, I've got this kind of curiosity. So when things are, are not so stable or are going through a transition, then that I think is a very interesting time. And we're in a lot of transitions at the moment, you know, both good and bad. But I, I would say that there's, uh, there's also, in, in terms of this, you know, the, the, the pleasure of looking, I, I did a really interesting course on colour. We perceive the world through, visually, through our hormonal body, you know, the way that we literally, our hormones excite us or depress us uh, and we respond to images on a very a very bodily mm. and physical you know, reaction. Um, then we have a, an aesthetic, but a learnt aesthetic level, which is, you know, how we're brought up, the society we're in, the culture that we're in. I mean, we, we, we were looking at colour, but colour, you know, in some cultures, white represents death, in others, it represents life. If you're near the equator, Bright colours uh, become much more vibrant, are much more vibrant. You know, when you're in Scandinavia, we have a different kind of colour palette, an aesthetic, you know, social colour palette. Mm. But then there's another level, 
and that's to do with kind of our intellectual engagement or our political engagement with things like colour or looking, you know. And I think that's what I, what interests me is that, you know, you can analyse the the social aesthetics of, of colour or imagery or the way it works, but what's your own personal relationship to it? Hmm. And that's uh, and that also, um, when we were talking about, you know, things like pornography and eroticism, I think erotica is much more about a philosophical idea of sexuality and, you know, expressing sexuality, whereas pornography is more on the, the kind of the hormonal or the, you know, the, the, the lizard brain, you know, so it's, uh, which might sound more like conspiracy theory, but it's not. <laughs> not that type of lizard It's not brain. that kind of lizard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the lizard people from Mars, yeah. Um, so to just kind of wrap it up, is there anything that you feel like we have missed in the conversation about image making in within burlesque specifically and scopophilia, the pleasure of looking at things in general? Uh, maybe just to say that it, it's uh, as a photographer and filmmaker, there is a transformation. There's a very big difference between seeing something in real life, in real time and then seeing something which has been recorded or created and edited and, you know, purposed in a different way. And I think that's maybe also where uh, maybe the kind of... There's, uh, there's two sides of what voyeurism is, you know. You can be a, a live voyeur, or you mm. can be a voyeur looking at kind of processed uh, yeah. material. Do you miss being, like, just an audience, like, just a kind of... No, I was never a very good audience. Yeah. I used to get very distracted. It's like when I watch film. I'm, I only ever really enjoy films when I'm not really aware that I'm there, and that's very, very rare. Yeah. I, I kind of overthink. And I become very self-conscious, actually, now, when I haven't got the camera there. <laughs> if I sit in an audience watching a burlesque performance, yeah. I feel super self-conscious. And a little bit kind of, uh, not panicky, but a little bit like, what am I meant to be doing, you know? It's also interesting, I know this, obviously, because we know each other, but yeah. that you do not like at all to be photographed yourself. No, not, no, like, I don't. Because you yeah. can imagine that it, you would be good at it because you know yeah. what to do, you know how to kind of position yourself, and but you don't. No, I have a very bad relationship. I'm a, a lot of body dysmorphia. Mm. I mean, I have a, a very bad relationship with my body. Yeah. And I, I see myself as existing in my head first and my body second. So in some ways, I mean, I would love to be an android as well, which is another. No, but what I was just saying is that I, I see myself as existing, say, through technology. Mm. So my... So the camera is like your the android camera. kind of... Yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. Op, what do you say, like organ... Yeah, and and I love video games. I love I love being a, a, a character in a video game rather than a real person in real life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking part of my podcast this time. Thank you. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. Thanks.